This episode is for you if you're about to start out as a locum or you're employed at a clinic and maybe feeling a little bit resentful because a locum might, at first glance, be earning a truckload more than you per hour. This is Julie South and you're listening to Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, the Kiwi Veterinary Sector Podcast. If you're a Kiwi veterinary professional, then stay tuned because this show is for you. Each week's podcast is purpose-built to help you grow your veterinary business, yourself, or your life. You can find all the show notes and links mentioned in today's show at pawsclawswetnoses.fm. This is the third of a three-part series about locoming whether it's for you or not, and things to consider. This week, we're looking at why it appears locums earn more per hour than employees doing the same job inside a clinic. After listening to this episode, hopefully, you'll get to understand how a locum's hourly rate is comprised and some of the other considerations that need to be factored into being self-employed. At first glance, it appears I agree that self-employed locums earn significantly more than their clinic-employed colleagues. However, in real terms, in actuality, that's not necessarily true. There are multiple differences between being an employed clinician, a veterinarian or a veterinary nurse, and a locum clinician, a permanent full or part-time veterinarian or nurse is guaranteed by their employer to earn X thousand dollars per annum and in exchange for that an employee promises to work X thousand hours per annum. A self-employed locum cannot guarantee their income. They can make assumptions based on past history or future projections but then something like a pandemic rocks the planet and all of those assumptions get thrown out the window. Many locums' incomes dropped to zero through Alert Level 4, while employees were still receiving at least something. Let's look at how a self-employed independent contractor locums' hourly rate is made up and why it's more than that of an employee. Firstly, as a permanent employee, you get paid for 52 weeks work each year. I'll say that again. As a permanent employee, you get paid for 52 weeks even though you don't actually work 52 weeks. Every year, by law, as an employee, you're entitled to four weeks paid annual leave, which means you're effectively getting paid every week for 52 weeks even though, by law, you only need to work 48 weeks of that year. The four weeks annual leave you're entitled to costs your employer 8% of your annual salary. Further, in New Zealand, there are 11 days deemed to be statutory holidays. This means that if you're an employee and your clinic is closed, say, on Queen's Birthday weekend Monday, you'll still get paid your full week's pay for that week. 
Those 11 paid days of statutory holiday an employee is entitled to receive costs their clinic 4% of their annual salary. There are the minimum five days sick leave they can take each year if they need to and be paid for them. Those five days costs their employer 2% of their salary. But wait, there's more. There are special leave obligations an employer must be liable for for some employees. Of course, not every employee is going to take all the various statutory leave options an employer must honour, but still, an employer needs to factor these in in some way. In the event an employee uses every leave option an employer is obligated to meet, they amount to around an additional 6% of their annual salary, plus or minus. All of these costs have to be met by the employer even though an employee isn't productive in any way during those absences. This means, therefore, if you're an employee, you're costing, and I'm saying that in air quotes, you're costing your employer an additional 20%, plus or minus, of your hourly rate when you're being paid not to be at work. But wait, there's even more to factor in. You know the CPD training your employer picks up the tab for? They're probably factored in somewhere in the region of 2 to 5% of your annual salary for that. And then, wait, there's more still. If you're a veterinarian, there's your APC and hopefully your NZVA membership. If you're a nurse, hopefully it's your NZVNA membership fees too. So let's say between half to 1% for those two. What about ACC levies? Add on an additional 2% cost, air quotes again, your employer needs to meet. Oh, what about insurance? Your employer is covering your ass with that as well. For argument's sake, let's say it's around 1%. All of these are some of the invisible costs every clinic covers for its professionals, its veterinarians and its veterinary nurses. So let's just recap those. The different types of leave obligations amount to around 20%. APC and Professional Association Regos, around 1%. CPD, somewhere between 2 and 5%. ACC levies at 2%. Insurance at around 1%. This means an employer is picking up the tab for an additional 26 to 29% hidden employee costs. This 26 to 29% is what a self-employed contracted locum has to pay for themselves out of their own hourly rate. That exact same rate some employees think they're being diddled out of when their clinic hires a locum. These are the statutory and obligatory costs. Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet Staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vet Staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz 
Julie back again. So let's translate all of those percentages into some meaningful real life numbers that you can relate to. Let's say you're currently earning $50 an hour. I've chosen that because it's a nice round number. You're probably costing your clinic somewhere in the region of $63 to $65 an hour. This is because the clinic is legally obliged to pay you for all those leave requirements I mentioned earlier, even when you're not at work. Locums, on the other hand, have to cover to fund those leave costs themselves. On top of that, a locum also needs to take into account such things as the unpredictability of their earnings. Near here at Vetstaff, I can pretty much guarantee a locum veterinarian as much or a little work as they want when they want it. I know that during Level 4 lockdown, when employees were still being paid by their employer something, locums were receiving zero income. Therefore, Locums need to allow some kind of unpredictability factor into their hourly rate because the chances are high they're not going to work even 48 weeks of a year. So what does that mean? It means that the $15 or the $20 per hour a locum appears to be getting paid more than a regular employee doesn't amount to a mega salary. It means they're probably earning the same as you, maybe a little less, maybe a little more but it won't be a whole $15 to $20 that it appears at first pass. Self-employed contractor locums may also have other expenses that employees don't have, for example, accounting fees. I mentioned in episode 2 of Paws, Claws and Wet Noses that locums are responsible for paying their own tax and ACC levies. If they want to be self-employed, but don't want to be responsible for the financial administration of their business, then they'll need to pay an accountant to do this for them. So the next time you find yourself a little narked because you think locums earn way more than you, or you get a little resentful because your clinic isn't giving you a pay rise, but is prepared to pay a locum way more than you, just remember that the clinic is picking up the tab For all those things you take for granted that a self-employed locum contractor has no legal right to. I mentioned in the first of this locum series the laws that cover employees and independent contractors and the privileges employees get in New Zealand over their self-employed counterparts. I'll put the link to that episode in this episode show notes, which you can find at pawsclawswetnoses.fm. One thing I would like to say here is that if you're thinking of becoming a locum because you see it as a way to giving yourself a pay rise, think hard before you do that. In fact, as much as I would like more locums, check out Paws, Claws and Wet Noses episode number two, where I covered the 11 considerations for you to weigh up about whether the locum lifestyle is for you or not. Obviously, if your pay level is way behind that of your peers, then have a chat to your clinic manager. Don't just resign because you think you'll earn more, because they may not end up being the case. You may end up hate locuming. Now, if you're listening to this and thinking that because it's already costing your clinic anyway for your annual leave entitlements and you'd like some of that cashed up in the bank, let's have a look at that. As an employee, you can ask your employer to pay out in cash. 
up to one week of your four weeks minimum entitlement to annual holidays per year for each entitlement year. You can do this all at once or you can make multiple requests to cash up until the entire one week is cashed up. An employer cannot pressure an employee into cashing up holidays. That might be because they're too busy and can't spare an employee not to be at work. An employer cannot raise it in wage or salary negotiations, for example, at your annual performance review. An employer cannot make cash up a condition of employment. They can't bribe you in this way. And an employer can't put a cash up request into an employment agreement, but can include the process for making a request. When it comes to requests to cash up in annual holidays, they can't be cashed up unless the employee asks in writing and has completed 12 months employment. Employees may request to cash up less than a week at a time and can make more than one request until a maximum of one week of the employee's minimum annual holidays is paid out in each entitlement year. For example, an employee with an anniversary date of 1 June can ask that up to one week's holiday that they become entitled to on 1 June be paid out. Their request can be made at any point in the entitlement year that runs from the 1st of June to the 31st of May the following year. An employer must consider a cash-up request within a reasonable time. An employer has the right to say no. An employer must inform the employee in writing and an employer doesn't have to give a reason for their decision. An employer can have a workplace policy that covers all or part of the workplace. This policy can state that they don't have to consider requests for annual holidays cash up. If that is the case, then the previous of what I've just said doesn't apply. If an employer agrees to pay out some of the employee's annual holidays, they need to pay as soon as they can, usually the next payday and they must keep a record of the date and the amount paid. The payment must be at least the same amount as if the employee had taken the holidays. If an employer agrees to pay out some of the employee's annual holidays, but the employer and the employee can't agree on the proportion of the payment amount, a labour inspector may decide for them. If an employer pays out a portion of the employee's annual holidays where the employer didn't ask for the cash up or if the employer has not given a written request to cash up the annual holidays from the employee, the employee can both keep the cash up money and still take the portion of the annual holidays cashed up as paid holidays. The employer may also face a penalty for that. Taking Parental leave may have an impact on the amount that an employee is paid when they take an annual holiday and how much a cashed up annual holiday is paid out. Inland Revenue has information about the impact of cashing up annual holidays may have on superannuation payments, working for families, child support and income tax. And I'll include a, a link to the IRD site on the show notes for this episode. If an employment agreement provides annual holidays in addition to the minimum four weeks, it may also provide for the additional holidays to be cashed up. 
For example, if the employment agreement provides five weeks annual holidays per year and two weeks could be cashed up, this would be allowed. If the employment agreement provides five weeks per year and all five weeks could be cashed up, then this would go against the Holidays Act 2003 and the employee would not be able to cash up more than two weeks annual holidays even with their employer's agreement. If you want more information on cashing up your leave or you're a clinic and would like to know more, then please get in touch with your legal advisor. If you don't have a legal advisor, I'm happy to point you in the right direction for one. This is Julie South and you've been listening to Paws, Claws and Wet Noses. I hope you found this helpful. If it was, you can help us by giving us a thumbs up and making a comment on the social media platform you heard us on. Facebook, LinkedIn or YouTube. Listeners liking through thumbs up helps more people find out about us. If you're listening via YouTube, please hit that subscribe button and ring the bell. Thank you very much. If you're on Facebook, please like our page. It truly does make a difference. If you have questions you'd like me to answer in future episodes, please let me know so I can answer them for you. You can ring me on 0800 483 869 in New Zealand or WhatsApp me on 6427 282 4155. I look forward to hearing from you. Paws, Claws and Wet Noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full-service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet Staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, Vet Staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz Thank you.